and because the anticipation is we keep growing, um, we keep being successful. The value of that ESOP is going to continue to go up, and all of those folks know they're going to benefit from it. Excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality. These are the values the Sam and Walton College of Business explores in education, business, and the lives of people we meet every day. I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Walton College, and welcome to the Be Epic Podcast. For the next few episodes, I will share conversations with top CEOs about the future of the workplace. The pandemic has transformed the way that we work, and we discuss their predictions for the future. I have with me today, Kim Eskew, who is chairman and CEO at Harps Foods, Inc. He has been with Harps for 46 years. He started in an entry-level position and worked his way up, and we're going to talk to him about that. He graduated from the university here in 1980, and he is from a small town in northeast Arkansas. Kim, thank you for joining me today. I appreciate it. Well, I'm I'm happy to be with you. Well, Kim, uh, your your story is really interesting. You came from a very small town in northeast Arkansas, um, as you said, 280 miles from here, hard miles, um, and you needed to work to be able to go to school. And you started while you were in school um, working for a local grocery store. Would you mind telling us a little bit about that? I think, first of all, I, I majored in civil engineering because uh, when I was trying to dis- decide, well, what do I want to do when I grow up? And, you know, when you're in high school, I think some people have a much better idea than others on on what kind of a career uh, to pursue. And and I really struggled with that, frankly. And And you take some aptitude tests and some things to try to help you determine, well, what are my strengths? And, and I was really strong in, in uh, math and science. Uh, and so it, it kind of steered me toward engineering. Now, I didn't know very much about engineering, uh, but uh, I decided, well, that's what I'm going to major in because, you know, a lot of things, the potential and the career opportunities in that field, uh, I thought were really good. Uh, so I, I entered the University of Arkansas majoring in engineering but I had to get a job and I had been working at a, a grocery store in my hometown of Piggott. And, and so I had some experience and uh, saw that Harps food stores uh, had positions opened and I interviewed with them uh, and uh, they, they hired me and I started to work. So what were some of your early jobs at Harps? I was a student and, and as a student, they called me a, a checker stalker, but you know, I, I cleaned bathrooms, mopped floors, carried out groceries, uh, did basically anything and everything uh, at the store. Nearly everyone was my boss uh, because uh, you know, I was uh, at the very lowest level as far as the employees in, in, in the grocery store. What a great place to start where you are seeing the details of how things operate and you learn how to deal with people um, and you you deal with all kinds of people in those kinds of uh, jobs. Was 
coming from a small town, Piggott, um, I'm sure you got exposed to things you had never been exposed to before working at Harps. Well, at the time I left Piggott, I think our population was just under 3,000 people. I graduated in a, a class of 73. And uh, coming to Northwest Arkansas even then uh, seemed like, oh, this is a big place. Uh, and you know, you go back to 1977, Northwest Arkansas was a lot smaller uh, than it is today. Uh, Springdale, I want to say, had maybe uh, 16,000 people, something like that. And I guess we're close to 90,000 today. So uh, it, it didn't look nearly uh, as large as it does today, but it looked really big uh, to me. And and I, I had worked in a supermarket that was about 6,000 square feet in Piggott. And the one I worked at in Springdale was 25,000 square feet. So it it was four times the size and was much busier. Uh, and uh, so, so it was vastly different, but the basics, you know, were the same. My nature has been pretty much to enjoy every job I've ever done. It, it seems like uh, there's been an occasional boss that I didn't enjoy, but for the most part, uh, I've always enjoyed working uh, and I enjoyed working uh, for Harps. And, uh, and that's the thing that really caused me to begin to consider it as a possible career. That experience um, that you had early on and enjoying your work is so critical because if you enjoy your work, you actually do better at it than if you don't enjoy it. But I also think uh, to your point, you've had good bat bosses and bad bosses. We all have uh, if we've worked for a while. And the good thing about having bad bosses is you can learn from them what not to do. You know, um, so tell me um, then once you graduated, what did you start doing at Harps? I, I just started filling a role as an assistant manager at our store here in Springdale at that time but was angling to, to be uh, the number two person in a store for us, we call the grocery manager. And that person is responsible for uh, all of what we consider the grocery department to be in the store, which is everything excluding like meat, produce and bakery deli. Uh, so all of the center store is, falls under the responsibility of the grocery manager. And I was looking to get promoted to that position uh, and, and shortly after I graduated, that did happen. And, and I got promoted to the position of grocery manager in our store in Mountain Home, Arkansas, which was one of our busiest stores, uh, you know, at that time. Uh, so, so that was a great opportunity for me. So being grocery manager in your number one store, that must have been a vote of confidence uh, early on that you were performing well. I, I think it was. And, uh, um, you know, and it was really challenging. I, I, I tell our folks back then, this was, this was pre-Walmart in the grocery world. Uh, and so uh, the sales that we were doing in those days, if you translated it into today's dollars, was much greater uh, than a typical grocery store will do today in, in terms of sales per square foot. So the the amount of groceries that we checked out and processed through that store 
for the most part, it's much greater than we do through a store today. Um, but uh, it was, I think, a vote of confidence. I haven't made any money in my life at all at that time. And so so it seemed like and, and when I when I decided to become a go into the grocery business, you know, I, I come from a, a I would say a desperately poor family. My dad, for most of my dad's life, worked two jobs and, and I could really say he worked three jobs. But uh, he worked he worked uh, at a at a, a shoe factory in Piggott called the Brown Shoe Company, uh, and then he also worked for a nursery in Piggott called the Piggott Nursery, uh, and he would go there after he got off work at the factory and work till dark, and uh, and then he also was the custodian in our church, and and even having done all that, we were still really poor. Uh, so when when I looked at at what I anticipated that you could make as a store manager for Harps, that was four times more money than my dad had ever made working three jobs. Some folks might've looked at that and said, well, it's not paying that great. I looked at it and thought, I don't know what I'm gonna do with all this money. That is great. So how long did you stay at that store in Mountain Home? Was it Mountain Home? Yeah, Mountain Home, Arkansas. I stayed there for two years, and uh, then we purchased. There were there were two Kroger stores in Fort Smith, and we bought those two Kroger stores. And I got chosen to be one of the managers uh, in one of those locations. What year would that have been, roughly? That was 1982. 82. So, but you you had had some experience while you were working while you were going to school and then after school uh, with Harps. So did you see a lot of differences in how they operated, how they merchandised product, et cetera, et cetera, um, at the Kroger store you took over? No, I, I didn't see a lot of differences. You know, the stores in those days were not nearly as elaborate as they are today. I mean, they were basic stores with um, generally, you know, you had center store and then you had a, a meat department, a produce department, and a bakery deli, and virtually everybody uh, had the same departments. And and Kroger was was very similar to that. Was turnover like it is today, or was it lower back then? It was much lower uh, back then. And uh, you know, if you looked at an application then, and and that person had um, taken a different job every two or three years. You would have thought, I'm not going to hire that person. They're not going to be around very long. Today, it seems that changing jobs every two or three years, that that person, well, gosh, they hang around for a long time. Uh, It is a radical difference today. In those days, that was a real negative uh, if you change jobs every two or three years. All of a sudden, being in charge of the entire store, were there any surprises for you or, or challenges in, in running the store? There were always surprises. Probably the, the biggest surprise to me was um, the amount of theft, both from customers and from employees. You know, in, in, in our business, it's really the employees that typically will get get you for the most money. You know, the shoplifting that takes place is significant, but 
uh, it's usually a small amounts at a time. Um, if you get employees stealing from you, they can get you for big, big dollars. Uh, and, and it's much more difficult often to detect them. Yeah, shrink is a, a big problem. Um, it's a huge problem. Was it, is it bigger today than it was then, or is it about the same? I believe it's larger uh, today. Uh, you know, it's, we try, we're on retail accounting in our stores. And so uh, we try to account in definable quantities what our shrink is in, in many different areas uh, so that we know what that is. And so the, the when we inventory our stores and, and we do about three inventories a year in a store, uh, you know, that helps us zero in on the unknown loss that's taken place and um, sometimes can alert us to some real problems that we have in the store if if that is is continual if we do a couple of inventories and they continue to show uh, a lot of shrink then we know we have some sort of theft issue how long did you manage that store in total i was there for four years and what, what did you do after that what was your next step in Mountain Home, um, we purchased Walmart, uh, moved out of their old store in Mountain Home and built a new store. Uh, and we were on the parking lot at that time of the Walmart store. Back in those days, um, it was a good thing to marry a grocery store with a Walmart. And of course, Sam Walton later thought, well, that would be a good thing to have under the same roof. We purchased that building uh, and actually moved our our business then into the old Walmart store, and uh, and then I became the manager uh, of that location, which at the time was it was our our largest store. That store was sixty three thousand square feet, uh, and and we had around two hundred employees uh, in that store, and uh, and it was it was our best store. And how long did you run that store? For about four years. And what was your next move after that? Uh, I became uh, a district manager. We were family owned at the time and um, with, we had just purchased five uh, additional stores in Oklahoma. And um, Gerald Harp, who was uh, vice president of operations and, and one of the owners of the company, uh, decided that he couldn't cover all of the stores himself. Uh, and so um, he decided to have a couple of district managers to help with store supervision. And how long did you do that? For four years. Moving from managing a store to managing a di district, was that a big jump for you or was that not a problem? It, it was a jump. Uh, in that um, when I managed the store at the, at the end of the day, you kind of could go home and know that, hey, everything's good. Or if you had problems, you knew where the problems were. If you had a personnel issue, you knew where the personnel issue was. If, if you're trying to do that for 12 or 14 or 16 stores, you never go home thinking, I know how everything is going everywhere. Uh, I don't know where my problems are for certain, and there's never a day when you go home and everything is just exactly the way it should be. 
you, you feel a little lack of control when you have multiple locations that you're trying to supervise. And was it hard to, you know, manage the managers? In other words, were you spending a lot of time mentoring them, training them? I was. And, uh, you know, the biggest thing is, is for folks to kind of accept uh, responsibility and accountability for what we've entrusted them with. And I always tell folks that when we allow ourselves to make excuses, then sometimes we're accepting failure. And, and I said, the trick really is bad things happen. A new competitor comes to town. Uh, you lose your number two person. That was great. And, and now my job's a lot more difficult. Stuff happens, you know, and the thing we can't allow ourselves to do is to use that as an excuse to not hit our goals, to not uh, hit our budgets. Uh, we've got to find a way to be innovative in order to still be successful, even when bad things happen. And so what was your next move after that? From district manager, I became uh, the director of, of marketing. Uh, for harps. And uh, I, having spent my whole career really in operations, felt like, well, even by my measurement, that seems a stretch. Uh, and and I don't think I don't think I was the first choice for the job. I, we we employed a a national search firm uh, to find uh, talent uh, in order to fill that position and. As I had made known that I was interested as well, I would see these folks come in and they would be interviewed and, and I would hear, well, this guy is doing that job for Winn-Dixie or for this company. And I would think, well, man, they're a lot better choice than I am. <laughs> and, and so I, I kind of had low hope that I would be chosen for the position. And, and I really think I ended up getting the position after another person had turned it down. Maybe they couldn't come to terms, but no matter how I got the position, I thought, well, now it's up to me what I do with it. And then it's one of those feelings you get, you're really happy that you got the job and now you're thinking, how in the world am I gonna do this job? <laughs> that is a big change from operations um, in many, many ways. What did marketing entail? Well, it was I was responsible for advertising, which was which was largely newspaper and a little bit of television and uh, and some radio. Uh, I was also responsible for merchandising, which has to do with how every store is set up, uh, the position of every item on the shelf, really everything the customer comes in contact with when they walk into the store product wise. I was responsible for. So you were over really marketing and merchandising. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. That that's a lot of responsibility. Did you feel like your experience in operations informed a lot of your decision making and planning and strategy? It did. Uh, and you know, when you're a store manager, you think you know a lot more than you know. Um, but uh, you, you look at it from a certain pr perspective, 
and then when you're the guy making the decision, you know, it's easy for the store manager to be critical of the ads, to be critical of the pricing, uh, to even be critical of product selection. And then suddenly you're the person that's, that's making those decisions and you see it's not always as clear cut as maybe the store manager thinks it is. And I was blessed that, you know, we had an advertising manager who had had that job for probably 25 years or more at that time. Uh, and we had a, a gentleman that was responsible uh, for the grocery uh, pricing and merchandising that had had that job for a very long time. And so now you've got this hotshot college kid that comes in and, uh, and these were all guys that had grown up in the business, but had not been to college. Uh, and, and now you have this young guy that comes in. Uh, and I just uh, told them, I said, look, uh, I'm going to have to learn this from you guys as we go along. So bear with me. Uh, and, and they really uh, carried me uh, early on in that job. So, uh, boy, it's so important to have mentors, isn't it? Yes. So let me guess, you stayed in that job for four years. You know, I'm less, I'm, I'm more, <laughs> I think it was longer than four years. I, I was just I, I guessing. Moved, I moved from director to vice president of marketing. Uh, and, and I held those positions, man, it, it may have been eight years or more that, that I, I held that position. And what was the difference in your responsibility when going from director to vice president? Really, there was not a difference. It was just a, a title change. During this time, up until you became vice president of merchandising and marketing, how much had Harps grown since you started when you were a student? You know, in those early years, we hadn't grown a great deal. Um, you know, most of the growth at that time was organic. We were building stores and we didn't have much turnover in store managers, and and maybe we add a store every two or three years. You you really know when that store comes up, you want to get it because it may be a couple of years before the next one comes up. So so there was not real rapid growth uh, during that time. So after being vice president of merchandising and marketing, what was your next role? Uh, I became executive vice president. In, in 2001, uh, Gerald Harp, who was the last surviving family member of the brothers, there were three brothers, there was uh, of the, our founder, Harvard Harp, started Harps in 1930, and he had three sons, Don Harp, Reland Harp, and Gerald Harp. And uh, those sons, when uh, Harvard died in a, in a car accident in 68, you know, the, the responsibility for the being the CEO fell to his oldest son, Don Hart. Uh, and uh, uh, Don stayed in that position until 1995, and then he retired, and Gerald Hart uh, then became the, the president and CEO. Uh, and then in 2001, uh, Gerald decided he was ready to retire uh, and put the company up for sale. It, it almost sold to uh, a, a company called Houchins Industries, which is located in Bowling Green, Kentucky, but they weren't able to reach a deal. And 
Houchins happened to be an employee-owned company. And, and so the possibility of selling uh, the Harps company to the employees um, became, was considered, uh, and that's what Gerald Harp decided to do. And in 2001, we became uh, an ESOP and uh, Roger Collins became our new CEO and Gerald left the company and Roger promoted me to executive VP with, with really, at that time, I was really responsible for uh, running the company. Uh, I was over operations and merchandising and marketing uh, at that time. And um, so it was a, we no longer were family owned. So we, we no longer had a, a person that we would have to go to uh, in order to get the blessing to do whatever we wanted to do. And now it was, it was on us. Uh, in order to uh, try to make the company successful. And if you're familiar with ESOPs, uh, you know, the nature of that is, you know, you go out and you have to borrow a bunch of money in order to buy the family out, uh, which usually means uh, we had as much debt as we could possibly take on. So we were very highly leveraged, which just increases uh, the pressure all the more uh, when you're trying to, uh, grow a company and manage a company. And at the same time, because this happened in 2001, Walmart is building super centers and neighborhood markets at a, at a pretty rapid pace. So we've got new competition that's really formidable coming in into our markets on a pretty regular basis. So, so those early years as an ESOP were really scary at times. How, from your perspective, um, over operations, merchandising, marketing, how did the change in ownership structure affect you? Well, I felt like the decisions I made were, were really the decisions that were going to go forward. And, and I was really setting the strategy for what we were doing on pricing, advertising and everything. There was, there was no higher power that had to agree to it. Uh, you know, it was, it was pretty much now we did have an executive committee and, and, and it was a collaborative environment. And, and I was by no means uh, doing this alone, but it, it felt like there was really a, a small group of us that are resetting the direction of the company. So what was your next role after that? Well, a little later, uh, so well, several years later, I, I was promoted to president with with really not a responsibility change. Um, uh, and then in uh, at, in 2016, I, I became CEO. Was I, I suppose with all of your experience, um, that was probably a fairly easy transition. It was, um, you know, you. Um, I really felt like I was I was prepared for it, uh, and 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 that was the uh, the whole experience I'd had of coming from the very lowest parts in the grocery store, and 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 literally nearly doing every job that there is to do, really gives you an intimate knowledge with the business that you're running, and and to me it it makes making decisions much easier. 
What has been the value of being ESOP to your employees? And also, how much has the value of your firm increased since uh, since the ESOP? Well, uh, you know, we didn't know when we became an ESOP. One, we didn't even know what an ESOP was. I didn't. So for most of our folks, they heard, well, we're going to be employee owned. And they had no idea what that meant. They had no idea, is this going to be a good thing? Or is it going to matter? And, and the truth is, when we started out, it's almost like your 401k. You know, people tell you this is going to be a big thing, but you start and you're young and you think I need every dollar I'm making to survive. So putting 2% or 4% into a 401k, this doesn't seem like that makes good sense to me. And, and so you start off and you get your first allocation and maybe that first allocation is $500 or something. And and you think, well, I don't know what the big deal is about that. I would rather just have the $500. But we started off and our stock was valued at $27.90 a share. And uh, that was in 2001. And, and today that stock is worth $1,410 a share. Uh, and, uh, and we have employees who have over a million dollars in their ESOP account. And uh, I like to tell the story uh, because sometimes I get asked, well, Kim, what, what do you like most about, about your job? And, and every year um, I try to visit personally, either with a phone call or in person with employees who are retiring and uh, who have worked for us at least 20 years. And, you know, right now we've been in ESOP for 21 years. So those employees would have been with us the entire time that we've been in ESOP. And, and the really cool thing, the thing that, that makes it all seem more significant and more uh, uh, enjoyable for me is those employees are leaving with uh, about 24 times their annual pay in their ESOP. So if, so if that person's making $20,000 a year, they've got $480,000 uh, in their ESOP that we're gonna give them. And that might just be, and I say this, but it might be a cashier that's got nearly half a million dollars in their ESOP that costs them nothing. Um, and if you're a manager, you may have a million dollars or more in your ESOP. And, and we have some people now that have over $2 million uh, in their ESOP. And these are folks who never believed they would have a million dollars. And it's all because of, of, of their hard work, uh, of their, their, the reason that they stuck with this job, which is counterculture today, that instead of leaving, and going to another job, you know, they stayed uh, with this job. Uh, and at the end, you know, we're handing them a check for $500,000 or a million dollars. And that is so gratifying to me. And it, and it makes it seem like 
this job has really mattered and you're going to have a much better retirement because you chose to stay and work for Harps. And I am overjoyed to, to give them that money. That must be gratifying. And you've had a big part in this the whole way through. Um, but to have a 5,000% increase in 21 years in the value of the firm, that, that's remarkable. Um, very impressive. Kim, I'm so glad that we had this time to connect and visit, and I, I really do love the story, um, and uh, you're, you're a great role model uh, for people. So uh, thank you. I know you're very busy, so I appreciate you taking the time and effort to uh, talk to me um, about Harps and your career. It's been very interesting. Well, thank you. I'm I'm happy to do it, and and I'm proud of our company and proud of our people, and uh, happy to share it with the folks that listen to this. On behalf of the Sam M. Walton College of Business, I want to thank everyone for spending time with us for another engaging conversation. You can subscribe by going to your favorite podcast service and searching "Be Epic," B E E P I C.